the unknown. Mystery. Space. Have fun. Adventure. Suspense. Fantasy. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror. Welcome to journey number 169 of the Journey Into podcast, featuring Something Scary by Marshall Latham. I'm your guide on this journey, Marshall Latham, coming to you from base camp in the Treasure Valley. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another journey. And uh, this one's special to me because I'm presenting another one of my stories to you here on the official podcast. Uh, This story has been a long time in coming, and I finally finished it at the beginning of this year in January, and I'm happy to present it to you uh, here today as the Halloween episode. (laughs) I I hope you enjoy it, and I'll talk a lot more about it uh, when we come back from listening to the story. So please, come with me as we journey into Mountain View Middle School. Something Scary by Marshall Latham Preston Wagner walked into 8th grade biology class late. Not only did he arrive 10 minutes after the class bell, but it was also the second week of school. He handed the teacher a note from his counselor. Preston, and most of his neighborhood, had transferred to the Mountain View Middle School because Redding Middle School was overpopulated. It really sucked because all of his close friends from Redding had not transferred. Well... Mr. Wagner, welcome to class, the teacher said, half to Preston, half to the other students. I am Mr. Pascavage, or Mr. P if you prefer. We assigned lab partners last week, but you're in luck. We have a little tri-cell group of protozoa in the back there. Let's have one of you break away and form a new bond with Preston here. Mr. P pointed Preston to a lab table towards the back of the room. Preston walked back and set his bag next to the sink, knocking over some lab equipment. A ripple of laughter spread through the classroom. Now, now, said Mr. P, although he seemed amused as well. Preston looked over at the lab table next to him. There were two girls and a guy, all with dark clothes, hair, and makeup. Emo kids, Preston thought to himself. One of the girls was practically sitting in the guy's lap, and he had his arm wrapped around her with his hand resting on her bare midriff. 
Obviously, they were an item. The boy had his extremely black, obviously dyed, hair strangely combed down over his forehead. It reminded Preston of the Johnny Depp character from that Tim Burton vampire movie he saw as a kid. What was his name? Barnaby Jones? No. Uh, Barnabas Collins. His girlfriend was skinny and had a pale face, black lipstick, several piercings around one ear, and a gauge loop in the other. She whispered something to the other girl and then poked her in the ribs. Barnabas laughed and looked over at Preston. The other girl shrugged, walked over, and sat down on the stool next to Preston. She also had black hair, though it looked natural, not dyed, which fell just below her shoulders. The other side hung down, covering her left eye, and then joined the rest of her hair near her cheek. Her skin was dark, but Preston couldn't pick out a specific nationality. She wore heavy eyeliner and mascara, which highlighted her deep brown eyes. Surprisingly, she wore pink lipstick. Preston realized that his new lab partner was quite attractive, though he wasn't sure about the two studs she had pierced below her lower lip and in the left crease of her nose. He didn't want to stare, but he thought they were little skulls. Hi, I'm Preston, he said. The girl laughed a bit. <laughs> so I've heard. Yeah, said Preston awkwardly. Mr. Pascavage started his instructions, and both of them turned their attention to the front of the class. The next week in biology class, they were presented with their first opportunity for dissection. Frogs, Mr. Pascavage stated, are one of the oldest and most wisely diverse groups of carnivorous amphibians on the planet. There are over 6,000 different species of frogs, and they can be found throughout every continent except Antarctica. Have you ever dissected anything before? Preston asked his lab partner. Not unless you count the dogs I carve up for ritual sacrifices on the full moon, she said. Preston froze. She had been joking, right? He studied her face, but she was stone-cold serious. Was she serious? Preston wasn't sure how to react. Then the goth girl laughed. <laughs> I'm just messing with you, man. Her smile melted Preston's horror. Mr. P continued, I have saved you from the ethical quandary of killing the frogs. These frogs are all quite dead, and have been preserved in formaldehyde. <laughs> Don't expect them to get up and dance or sing any Ivor Biggin songs. The teacher paused for comedic effect, but the room was silent. He cleared his throat. <clears throat> Is that the formaldehyde I smell? asked Preston. It's making me nauseous. This is all pretty gross, huh? Not really, the girl said. It's pretty fascinating if you ask me. Uh, okay. Then Preston remembered a question he had for her. So, what's your name? he asked. We've been sitting next to each other for a week now. We are about to desecrate this poor frog together. I think I should know your name. D. Augustine, she said. Just D? 
D must stand for something. Nope, it's just D, the girl said matter-of-factly. Mr. P interrupted their conversation. If we are done talking in the back, I will go over your instructions, he said loudly. Their instructions were to first pin back the skin from the back of the legs of the frog so that only the muscles were showing. Then they were to carefully shave off the skin and skull from the frog's head and expose the brain without damaging it. That's downright barbaric, said Preston. D slid the scalpel over to him. Do or die time. You do the legs. I'll do the head. Preston picked up the scalpel. Okay, I can do this, he said. He raised the scalpel over the back legs of the frog and began to lower it to cut the skin. His hand was shaking terribly. He took a deep breath to steady himself. He touched the blade to the skin and then pulled away and dropped the knife. He excelled loudly. Tell you what, he said. Why don't you do the cutting on this one, and I'll uh, take all the notes and write up the results. Dee giggled. <laughs> Sounds good. I was starting to fear for my safety anyway. Preston watched as Dee deftly cut the skin on the legs and made smaller cuts at the ends so that it was easy to peel back the skin and pin to the board. That's amazing, he said. Thanks. Do you want to see something else amazing? Dee reached into her backpack and pulled out a little plastic baggie with white crystals in it. Preston backed up in his seat away from the table. Whoa, 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 he said, and then in a hushed tone. Is that cocaine? You can get suspended for that. Or arrested. Dee looked at him incredulously. You really think I'd bring cocaine to school? Or that I'd even have cocaine? Well, yeah, I guess. I, I don't know. What else could it be? Preston saw a look of hurt in Dee's eyes. It's salt, you idiot. What? Why would you keep salt in your backpack? Preston knew he had overreacted, and now he was being defensive. I'll show you, said Dee. She opened the bag and sprinkled a heavy dose of salt on each of the exposed frog legs. Preston was intrigued. He leaned closer and studied the exposed legs. Then, one of the legs jerked suddenly like the frog was still alive. Preston let out a loud, high-pitched squeal and stumbled backwards, sending his stool crashing to the floor. Everybody turned to look at him. Uh, sorry, he exclaimed. Uh, just lost my balance. Dee could not contain her laughter. <laughs> now that was funny, she said. You could have warned me, suggested Preston. Serves you right, Dee said, thinking I'm a cokehead. You don't even know me. She was trying to be serious, but she was still laughing at Preston's outburst. They both focused back on the frog legs that were still twitching. That's actually pretty cool, Preston said. But I'm going to get you back for that. Oh, really? Dee scoffed. I'd like to see that. You don't think I can scare you? When is the last time that you did something scary? Something scary? Yeah. Preston thought for a moment. Well, um, last year around Halloween, 
I took my little sister through a spook alley. Dee's eyes lit up. Ooh, the haunted forest out on the end of Hutchins Road? I love that place. Oh, no. Uh, no. It was a different one. A different one? Where was it? I, I don't remember, Preston mumbled. What do you mean you don't remember? Dee eyed him suspiciously. Did you even go to a spook alley? Yes. Where? Preston didn't know what he was trying to prove to this girl. Fine. It was at my church, but... Church? Dee cackled derisively. Man, I should have known. I know how it sounds, but Pastor Ken goes all out for Halloween. Dee was still laughing. Whatever, said Preston. I'm sorry I don't live a dark and dreary lifestyle like you. Rude much? asked Dee. Oh, I'm being rude. You're the one mocking me. I'm laughing at you based on your actions. You are judging me based on my appearance. Why, it's the same thing. Well, not really. (sighs) Okay, you're right. I'm sorry I called you dark and dreary based on your clothes and hair and makeup. And for thinking I had cocaine? And for thinking you had cocaine. Dee smiled. And I'm sorry for making fun of you. I actually think it's kind of sweet that you took your sister through the spook alley. And for scaring me with the frog legs? No, she said. That was funny. Preston smiled. Yeah, I I guess it was. I'm still going to get you back. Whatever you say. Dee looked back at the frog. Well, should we see if we can expose Fillmore's brain here? The frog's name is Fillmore now? asked Preston. Yeah, don't you think he looks like a Fillmore? I suppose. As he watched her gleefully scraping the skin and skull off of Fillmore's head, it occurred to him that Dee was anything but dark and dreary. In fact, Preston spent a lot of time in the next few weeks thinking about Dee. More than just in biology class. She was different than anybody he'd ever met, or at least allowed himself to get to know. Dee might dress the part of an emo chick, but she was quite gung-ho about life and didn't really fit the stereotype. Preston had tried to scare Dee a couple of times. He tried dangling a plastic spider over her shoulder, but it didn't faze her. Turns out she had a bug collection when she was younger. Of course she did. He also pretended to accidentally cut his finger, using really good fake blood that he had learned to make on YouTube. Dee saw right through it, but she complimented him on the blood. On homecoming week, the school had an at-the-movies dress-up day. Preston snuck in a Pennywise mask and tried to scare Dee at her locker, but she was with her friends at the time. Barnabas Collins had pushed him away, yelling, Stay away from us, white bread. This caught the attention of one of the teachers. Hey, you're not allowed to wear face masks in school. Come with me, young man. Barnabas and his girlfriend mocked Preston as he was escorted to the principal's office. Preston looked around but didn't see Dee anywhere in the crowded hallway. A couple of days later, Preston was sitting on a bench between the cafeteria 
in the school commons area, eating his sack lunch and doodling on a notepad. D sat down next to him. Hey there, partner. Are you ready for the quiz tomorrow? I guess so. Why are you over here? I figured you'd be at a table with your friends, Preston said, still a little hurt from the locker incident. Oh, they have second lunch, D said. Uh, yeah, mine too, said Preston, though he hadn't made any good friends here yet. And besides, said D, I'm only friends with Maggie. Her boyfriend, Kevin, is just part of the package at the moment. I'm sorry about the way he treated you the other day. I know you were just trying to scare me. Wait, his name is Kevin? Yeah, what did you think it was? Preston didn't know if Dee would appreciate his Barnabas Collins comparison. Uh, I don't know, he said. Just not Kevin. After a pause, he asked, So did I scare you? No, not really, Dee said. Preston frowned. But I did like your choice of characters, Dee offered. Bill Skarsgård is a pretty creepy Pennywise, but Tim Curry is closer to what I envisioned while reading the book. Preston just shook his head. He didn't want to let on that he hadn't read the book and didn't even have a clue who Tim Curry was. Have you seen any of the movies? Dee asked. Uh, yeah. I saw... I saw the one from a couple years ago. Uh, this was true. Preston's cousin Merrill had rented it on Netflix, and they watched it at his house. Did you like it? Were you scared? Yeah, it was pretty creepy, but that kid from Stranger Things made me laugh. Have you seen Chapter 2, the sequel? It came out last month. No, have you? The thought came to Preston that he should ask Dee to go see it with him, but the movie was R-rated. It would be hard to get in at the theater. Merrill had seen many R-rated movies by buying a ticket to a lower-rated film and then sneaking into the R-rated one. Preston and Dee could do that. However, if Preston's mom found out, he would be in big trouble. She was adamant about him not seeing R-rated movies, and even some PG-13 ones. No, I haven't seen it either, but I'd love to said D. She'd love to. Was she volunteering to go with him, even though he hadn't asked? This was his opening. They could sneak in the movie together. It would be adventurous and fun. His mom would never have to know. But what if he was reading her wrong and she laughed at him for asking? Why would she want to go out with a boring white-bred kid like Preston? It's still playing at the Terrace Mall, Dee continued. I just haven't found anybody who wanted to go. This was his chance. All he had to do was open his mouth and ask her to go with him. He looked up at her. Dee didn't say anything, but met his gaze. Here we go, Preston thought. Well, maybe... He started to ask. Then he looked down at his notepad and heard himself say, Maybe we can catch it on Netflix or something when it comes out. Yeah, maybe, Dee said. 
he could hear the disappointment in her voice. Preston didn't want to look up. I am so lame, he thought. I totally blew it. He just wanted to run out of there and get away from the awkward silence. What are you working on there? asked Dee. Before Preston even knew what she was talking about, Dee pulled the notebook out of his hands and looked at what he was drawing. Oh, it's nothing, said Preston. Uh, Just a joke, really. On the paper, he had simply written out the words, something scary, in red pen. He had then traced over the letters and made it look like blood was dripping off of them, even from one word down to the other. It was extremely amateur and embarrassing. You were drawing this for me? asked D. Yeah, c- kind of. I was just doodling while thinking about you uh, stuff. Preston had almost said thinking of you, but changed it quickly. Can I keep it? Uh, sure, if you want it. It's it's nothing. No, it's, it's very sweet. Dee tore the paper out of the notebook. Is this where you always sit at lunch? She asked. Yeah, usually. Okay, I'll see you tomorrow. I've got to get a head start to my drama class. Uh, bye, said Preston as he watched her run down the hallway. He wasn't sure what to make of this encounter. He'd totally biffed it by not asking her out. But she seemed to really like the drawing. Then again, girls tended to use the word sweet a lot, even his mom. And did he want her to think of him as sweet? Wasn't that just another way of saying white bread? If he had just offered to sneak her into an R-rated movie, maybe she would see him in a different light. Man, he was such an idiot. I am an amoeba. Mr. Pascavage was standing on top of his desk. He had his legs spread and his hands out wide, waving back and forth. I am a single cell, but I have no walls. I eat by extending my pseudopodia and grabbing bacteria, or maybe some dead organic material. I don't have a mouth. I just engulf my prey and make it a part of me, ingesting it. These pseudopods, or false feet, also help me move around. (laughs) Now that is pretty impressive, Preston told Dee, referring both to amoebas in general, but also their gyrating teacher. Yeah, amoebas are pretty badass, said Dee. Can you imagine if amoebas were macroscopic? The thought made Preston shudder. The two lab partners had figured out how quiet they needed to speak in order for Mr. P not to hear them. It was one of the benefits of being in the back of the class. But amoebas don't need to be big to be deadly, Dee stated. Did you hear about the little girl in North Carolina who died because she got infected by a brain-eating amoeba? A brain-eating amoeba, said Preston, sneering. You're putting me on. No, I'm serious. They are very rare, but they can be found in fresh, warm water. They go up your nose and eat your brain. Come on, 
said Preston, still not believing her. He had been fooled by Dee before. It's true, I swear, said Dee. Ask Mr. P, or look it up on your phone if you don't believe me. Preston looked up to see Mr. P. He had climbed down from the desk and was drawing something on the whiteboard under the word paramecium. He should probably be paying attention. Instead, Preston carefully pulled his phone out of his backpack. He risked getting it confiscated, but he had to know if Dee was telling the truth. He typed quickly into the search, and lo and behold, there were several articles and videos about brain-eating amoebas. He scanned one article and was glad to learn the chances of contracting one were pretty low. Holy crap, you're right, Preston said, almost too loud. Dee made an expression, indicating, of course. Then she grabbed Preston's phone from him. Hey, give that back, Preston whisper yelled. Let's see what music you have on Spotify, Dee mused. Preston resigned to the intrusion and quickly tried to remember what was on his playlist and whether it was embarrassing. Imagine Dragons, Alan Walker, Ed Sheeran. Not a terrible start. A Vita soundtrack. Interesting. Gautier and... Aha! I knew I'd find Taylor Swift in here somewhere. So what? I like some of her songs. I think everybody does, if they're honest, Preston defended, a bit more vehemently than he had expected. Ooh, look at you, Dee said, standing up for your girl, Taylor. No, not just for her. I'm just standing up for my choice of music. It looks good on you, she said, flashing him a mischievous smile. The way Dee looked at him in that moment was very sexy, to use one of Merrill's terms. But it made Preston blush. He could feel blood rush to his face, and elsewhere. But what had looked good on him? Standing up for himself? Preston decided not to ask. I'll bet I'll find some old Evanescence on your Spotify, said Preston. Evanescence? You know they haven't been a thing since before we were born, right? That doesn't mean you don't have it on your phone. Dee started counting on her fingers. I have Pierce the Veil, Skillet, Arctic Monkey, Finger Eleven, My Chemical Romance, and Evanescence, said Preston. Nope. Why don't you give me your phone, then? They were then interrupted by Mr. P, standing right behind Preston. Uh, actually, why don't you hand me the phone, young lady? It's not mine, said D. No matter whose it is, said Mr. P, matter-of-factly, they can pick it up at the main office at the end of the school day. D handed Preston's phone to Mr. P. Now, why don't you join your classmates in looking through the various microscopes in the front and taking notes on the organisms you see? Yes, Mr. P, droned Preston as the teacher walked away. He heard snickering behind him and turned to see Barnabas Collins sneering at him. Yes, Mr. P, the boy sing-song mimicked. Shut up, Kevin, said D. Serves you right, you little douche, Barnabas mumbled. Preston just ignored him and went to view the microscopes. Hey, you, said D, startling Preston as he finished his lunch at the edge of the cafeteria, their usual spot. 
Did you get your phone back on Friday? Yeah, said Preston. It was no big deal, but I did almost miss my bus. I was thinking about you, uh, your phone, this weekend, Dee said. I wanted to text you, but then I realized I don't have your number. Oh, yeah, I guess we never needed to share numbers for class. Does it have to be for class? Dee asked. No, replied Preston, I, I guess not. So, what's your number? asked Dee. I'll text you, then you'll have mine. Preston told her his number. Dee thumb-typed it into her phone. Preston's phone buzzed in his hand. The message read, Boo. Preston texted back, Boo-hoo. It wasn't too original, but it did the trick. Cool, said Dee. They were silent for a bit, each looking at their phones. Do you like Edgar Allan Poe? asked Dee out of the blue. Um, the name sounded familiar to Preston, but he couldn't quite place... Oh, did he write a story about a cat getting stuck in a wall? Dee smiled. Yeah, that's his story, The Black Cat. And we read that in English class, said Preston. The old guy kills his wife and hides her body behind a wall, and he would have gotten away with it, but the cat was trapped too and started crying. It was kind of freaky. Did you like it? Yeah, in a demented sort of way. My dad loved Poe. He introduced me to most of his stories and poems. My mom thought I was too young for such ghoulish tales, but I loved it too. Still do. Something about the elegance of the language just speaks to me. Wow, I've never felt that way about anything. Even Taylor Swift? Preston made a face. Very funny. No, I mean the way you speak about Poe. It seems very deep and personal. Your dad seems like a cool guy. He died two years ago, said Dee. Oh, man, I'm I'm sorry. I. No, it's fine. I'm not sad anymore. Well, most of the time. I have good memories of him, and I'll always have Poe to help me remember. That's really cool, said Preston. The class bell rang. They stood up to go to their classes. Uh, here, Preston, I want to give you this, said Dee. She handed him a piece of paper that was folded in on itself, so it formed a little envelope. It's just a poem I wrote. Since I took your sketch, I figured it was my turn. Oh, okay, thanks, stammered Preston. They both went to their individual classes. Preston's was geometry, pretty boring. The first opportunity he found, he opened the paper and read Dee's poem. I want to be loved madly, but prefer not a lover who's mad. Is it too much to ask, I wonder, to be loved in this life by another? Would loving them back be so bad? I'd love to be loved like Lygia, Annabelle Lee, or Poe's lost Lenore. But I want to be loved while I'm living by someone kind-hearted and giving, not adored after closing death's door. I dream of a love beyond measure, like Juliet with her Romeo of lore. But their love seems so selfish and drastic, their fate needless and fantastic. I crave time with my lover much more. I wish for a love that is simple and true, and I know I will find it someday. 
whether years or days I must wait. When I meet him, I will simply state, Nice to meet you, my love. I'm Danae. Preston didn't quite know how to interpret this poem, or even if it had an intended message. Did Dee write this specifically for him? Or was this just one of many poems that Dee has written, and she wanted to share it with him? In that case, did she select this particular one with him in mind? Who could say? But one message that Preston was sure that Dee wanted him to know was that her full name was Danae. What a beautiful and unique name. He had never heard of it before. On the bus ride home, he looked it up and saw that it could be an alternate spelling of Danae, the mother of Perseus in Greek mythology. That was cool. He just kept saying her name over and over again in his mind. Mr. Pascavage stood in front of a detailed 3D image of the human brain and spinal cord, projected on the screen behind him. He began, Once upon a time, there was a scientist who injected some mice with blue dye. He noticed under a microscope that although the blue dye traveled through the entire bloodstream of the mice, it never entered their brains. This eventually led to the discovery of what we call the blood-brain barrier. It's made up of tightly packed cells in the brain's capillaries that prevent harmful substances from entering the brain, while also letting in substances that your brain needs, like oxygen and water. However, it can also cause challenges in treating some brain conditions, since helpful medications also can't cross the barrier. D commented, It's like a security app for the brain. Yeah, said Preston. The two lab partners had been texting back and forth for the last couple of weeks. Neither of them felt the need to be glued to their phones like so many of their classmates, but they probably shared at least three or four text conversations per day. They were becoming very close, but was there something more to their relationship? That was still a mystery. Preston looked across the biology lab and noticed Dee's friend. He couldn't remember her name, but she was Barnabas's girlfriend. She was sitting at a different lab table near the front of the class. He glanced over at the table next to them and saw Barnabas sitting alone. Barnabas noticed Preston looking at him and bulged his eyes and made a what's-your-problem look. Preston looked away. He nudged D. What's up with your friend and her boyfriend? What? said D. Preston moved his eyes towards Barnabas and slightly tilted his head. Oh, Dee whispered. Didn't I tell you? Yeah, Maggie dumped Kevin. He was starting to get all possessive and didn't want her doing things unless he knew about it and stuff. They were arguing a lot. Maggie finally had enough and gave him the axe. Oh, that's too bad, said Preston, trying to sound sincere. Yeah, sure, Dee mocked. I know you never liked him much. Neither did I, really. Preston knew Dee well enough now that he decided to let her in on his comparison of Kevin to Barnabas Collins from the movie Dark Shadows. <laughs> Dee was not able to contain her laughter. She expected to get in trouble again. However, apparently her outburst had coincided with one of Mr. P's lame jokes. Huh. 
It's nice someone appreciates biology humor, the teacher said. Preston and Dee snickered all the more. Then Preston noticed Barnabas glowering at them. There is no way that he heard their joke, but he may have guessed that he was a subject of their amusement. Who cares, Preston thought to himself. When the class bell rang and everyone started leaving the room, Preston grabbed Dee by the arm so that she turned to face him. Before he lost his nerve again, he looked into her eyes and asked, D, it's Halloween next Thursday night. Will you go to the haunted forest with me? D smiled wide. I'd love that. That's awesome, said Preston, still trying to forge ahead without hesitation. Um, I've been thinking. Neither of us has a driver's license, and I don't want our parents to be a part of our date. So let's just meet there, you know, like it's no big deal. What do you think? Yeah, that works for me, replied D. Great. Okay. Me, me too. Cool. There was silence. Kids started milling in for the next class. Well, I better go, D said. Yeah, me too, said Preston. D turned to leave. When she was almost to the door, Preston blurted out, it is, though. Dee looked at him questioningly. What? It is a big deal. You going with me? There? Dee smiled and left the classroom. Preston stood there for a moment with an odd grin, then gathered his things to go. As he passed by Mr. P, who was tapping at his Chromebook, he heard the teacher chuckle and say, Young Love is alive and well in Mountain View Middle School. That weekend, they texted about their date. D. You dressing up for Halloween? Pumpkin emoji. Preston. Of course, you? D. What's your costume? Preston. Don't know yet. How about you? D. It's a surprise. Preston. I see. I'm not telling you either, then. D. LOL. Preston. How will I find you? D. Call me. Preston. Thumbs up emoji. D. Looking forward to it. Exclamation point. Smiley face. Preston. Me too. D. Mom's calling. Gotta go. Preston. Bye. D. TTFN. Preston went through several ideas for his Halloween costume. He decided against Frankenstein's monster or the Wolfman. He could have reprised his Pennywise performance, but that still stung a little. Besides, he had given up on trying to scare D. Ultimately, he chose to go with something new, original, and a bit ironic. A piece of Wonder Brand white bread. Preston asked his mom to buy a large, flat, thick sheet of styrofoam, which he cut into the shape of a giant slice of bread. He cut a hole in the middle and painted the edges brown. He then cut holes in the bottom of a couple white plastic trash bags, taped them together with clear packaging tape, and painted various red, blue, and yellow dots of different sizes on them. 
He attached one open end of the bags to the edges of his bread slice, pulled the rest over his head and torso, and poked his face through the hole in the middle of the slice. Now all he needed was white face paint and armholes to pull it off. Hopefully, Dee would appreciate his ingenuity and sense of humor. When Preston's mom dropped him off at the haunted forest, she helped him get his costume on. Preston could not fit into their little Ford Festiva while wearing the styrofoam bread piece. As she pulled away, Preston walked across the entrance, a huge fort-like gate with a zombie mannequin standing on top of one side of a wall, and a scar-faced dude with bloody clothes and a chainsaw on the other side. The haunted forest sat on the edge of a farmer's cornfield, as well as an actual forest. The parking lot was part of the field that had been mowed down and roped off into lanes. As he entered through the gate, Preston saw many people milling around the various attractions. There was a mock graveyard, a spooky house, and a concessions area. There were also two separate lines to enter either the corn maze or the haunted forest itself. Preston looked around to see if he could find Dee, but of course, not knowing what her costume was, he was unsuccessful. He pulled out his phone and dialed her number. Somewhere in the distance, he heard the song Bring Me to Life by Evanescence ring out and then cut off. Dee answered the call. Hey, Preston. Hey, Dee. I just got here. Where are you? Are you in a white costume with a big head? Uh, yeah. On my way to you. Bye. Okay, bye. Preston put his phone back in his pocket and looked around. Eventually, he saw a figure walking toward him, but it didn't look like Dee. The girl had big curly hair that was held up by some kind of... Was that a tiara? Wonder bread? The girl exclaimed as she approached him. Really? Wow, you went all out. It was Dee. She was wearing a flowing purple and green dress with a slit up one side and a plunging neckline. She also wore several gold, purple, and green bead necklaces and held a peacock-feathered golden mask in front of her face. Me, Preston said. I can barely tell it's you. You look... fantastic. He tried not to stare at her chest. Thanks. I've always wanted to go to Mardi Gras, so I figured, why not? Preston wasn't sure what Mardi Gras was. A celebration in Spain, maybe? Aren't you cold? he asked. This was California, but Redding was pretty far north. Once the sun went down, it got downright chilly this time of year. It was probably in the low 50s right now. Oh, it's not too bad, Dee said. I'm wearing some clothes under my dress. Yeah, but... But what? Dee moved the mask away from her face to reveal a smile. She was wearing purple lipstick and green eyeshadow, and had somehow attached colored sequins at various places on her cheeks and forehead. They stood out against her dark skin. She, she is, is beautiful, beautiful, Preston thought. Oh, nothing, he said. What would you like to do first? That's easy. They have the best homemade corn dogs here. You have to have one. They are so good. Oh, and some hot cider. Sounds good, said Preston. His mom had given him $20. He wasn't sure of the rules for this sort of thing. Was he supposed to pay for both of them? 
Or was that an old-fashioned notion? As they waited in the concessions line, Preston smirked at Dee. I like your ringtone, he said. <laughs> Dee cackled in delight. Well, that's good, she mused. It's only for your calls. Oh, I didn't think of that, said Preston. I guess I'll have to load Shake It Off for yours. <laughs> I guess so. When they got up to the counter, Preston ordered and paid for two corn dogs and two ciders. Dee smiled. Thanks, she said. Next round is on me. They looked around. The line to the haunted forest was still pretty long, but the corn maze line had gotten shorter. So what'll it be? asked Preston. Shall we hit the corn maze or the haunted forest first? Oh, the haunted forest for sure, said Dee. Preston was a little disappointed. He did want to go to the haunted forest, but he liked the idea of a long, leisurely stroll through the corn maze, you know, just the two of them. Not that he had designs to make any moves on Dee or anything, but this was a date, and who knows what the night would bring. The line is shorter to the maze, he said, and we can save the haunted forest for the main attraction. I know, but I've always thought the corn maze was kind of lame. Let's go to the haunted forest first. It's so fun, Dee said. The haunted forest it is, said Preston. Who was he to deny the girl some fun? Plus, the excitement in her eyes was intoxicating. They clambered up to the end of the line. I've heard they added more acreage to the forest this year, she said. I wasn't able to make it here last year. This'll be my first time, said Preston. Wow, really? Yeah, but our family drove down to Six Flags a few years ago for their big Halloween makeover. That was fun. But since the divorce, we don't do things like that. Well, this ain't Six Flags, Dee said, but they put on a pretty good show. They moved forward at a pretty quick pace. Preston wondered if he should try to hold Dee's hand or something. It didn't really feel like the best place. Is that Kevin up ahead of us? asked Dee. Preston looked up ahead of the line. Where? Right up close to the fence there. The pirate? He could see the short wood fence ahead of them, where the area was lit up. Preston looked for a pirate. There he was. A kid with black hair wearing a pirate hat over a large red bandana. As Preston looked closer, he saw dark makeup around his eyes and beads in his hair but he couldn't make out if it was actually Barnabas or not. Then, the pirate turned to talk to his friend, and the light hit his face. That was definitely Barnabas. Well, not quite Barnabas from the movie anymore. Preston turned to Dee. Take a closer look. My joke about Kevin trying to look like Barnabas Collins might not be a joke after all. Dee looked for herself. Oh, yeah. He's dressed up as Jack Sparrow. <laughs> Kevin must have a thing for Johnny Depp. Preston joined Dee in her laughter. Then Preston had a thought and stopped for a moment. We probably shouldn't be laughing at him. We're all fans of something. Oh, come on, it's funny, Dee said. Yeah, Preston said weakly, but it didn't feel funny to him anymore. How many times had he been the subject of mockery? Just because he didn't like Barnabas? No. Just because he didn't like Kevin? didn't mean that he should make fun of him. He tried to change the subject. 
So how long did it take you to make your costume? He asked. The only thing I had to make was the mask. And it took about a week, said D. The dress and necklaces belonged to my mom. Both her and my dad came from New Orleans, and my grandma grew up in Italy, so it's like a family thing. Cool, said Preston. Eventually, the couple arrived at the entrance gate, paid for their tickets, and entered the haunted forest. A narrow dirt pathway led them through the trees. There were a few red eyes blinking above them, and some loud screams meant to scare them, but Preston and Dee just smiled at each other. They came upon an old farmhouse. Screams could be heard from inside. Preston saw some people running from the back door, scared but laughing. Shall we? asked Dee. I don't think we have much choice, said Preston, pointing out the forest and a fence blocking any other way forward. They walked in the front door and saw a dark living room with cobwebs hanging from everywhere and sheets on the furniture. There was a light coming from what looked like a kitchen. As they walked towards the kitchen, a large spider with glowing eyes and a loud shriek dropped down from the ceiling. Preston heard a discharge of compressed air, which must have been what was controlling the spider. Something grabbed Dee's legs from the floor, and she let out a scream. Something from the back corner of the room started moving toward them. It was someone dressed up as a doll, wearing a very realistic doll mask with an eye missing, along with several patches of hair. It was very creepy. The doll said nothing, just kept shambling toward them. Preston and Dee rushed into the kitchen. They were met by a woman covered in blood, screaming at them, What are you doing here? Get out! You are going to wake him! Get out while you can! There was a man twitching on the table, who looked as if he had just been eviscerated. Help me, he moaned. Get out, the bloody woman demanded. They exited the kitchen into what seemed like a pantry, but cold air streamed down at them from above, and they almost ran into some sort of skinned animals hanging from the ceiling. So, not a pantry, but a freezer. Blood, of course, was splattered throughout the room. A frozen man stood up from the floor and came toward them with arms outstretched. You are so warm. I need your warmth. Both of them scampered away from the frozen figure. As soon as they left the freezer, a hooded man came at them with a chainsaw blaring. It was Preston's turn to scream. Holy balls! he exclaimed. This is my home! the chainsaw man yelled. You can have it! Preston said. He grabbed Dee's hand, and they ran away from the house. When they came to a clearing, they stopped. Dee was laughing. <laughs> Holy balls, she said between breaths. What does that even mean? How should I know, said Preston, also laughing. <laughs> that was, that, that's just what came out. He scared the crap out of me. Oh, that was great, said Dee. Three other people came into the clearing ahead of them. They were in costume, but Preston didn't think they were part of the attraction. This was a safe buffer zone in between the scare sections of the forest. As they came closer, Preston recognized the center figure as Barnabas, or Kevin, in his Jack Sparrow costume. Kevin was flanked by a couple of kids in skeleton costumes, basically skeletons painted on black clothes and hoods. One was more heavyset than the other. Well, what do we have here? 
Kevin asked mockingly. It's the lovebird lab partners. The skeletons laughed. Kevin, Dee greeted him evenly. I hope you're having a good night. Yeah, right, Kevin said. I know you're the one who poisoned Maggie against me. Not me, Kevin, said Dee. You did a good job of that yourself. So is this the dweeb you were telling us about? The skinny skeleton jeered, pointing at Preston. Dee snickered at him. <laughs> who are these guys supposed to be? It looks like you have the wrong costume, Kevin. These guys were looking for David S. Pumpkins. The fat skeleton took a step toward her, but Kevin stopped him. Kevin faced Preston. I like your costume, he said sarcastically. I see you're living up to your bland, privileged existence in this world. Preston saw where this was going. Kevin wanted to fight, but he wanted to bait Preston into making the first move. Preston had never been in a real fight, but he had wrestled with Merrill a time or two. He didn't consider himself tough by any means, but if push came to shove, Preston thought he'd at least be able to get in a couple good shots. However, he couldn't take on three guys at once. He didn't even want to fight at all. He'd never been hit before and didn't really want to start now. Preston removed the styrofoam slice of bread off his face. Actually, yeah, I'll admit it, Kevin, he said. You were definitely the inspiration behind my costume. I might as well play into my strengths. He could tell Kevin didn't expect this reaction and wasn't sure how to respond. Then the fat skeleton spoke up. This little twerp was making fun of you, Kevin? You should take him out. This seemed to bring Kevin back on course. Yeah, what was your name again? Preston or Pussy? Since you like making fun of me behind my back, why don't you just say it to my face? What's so funny, pretty boy? Dee stepped forward like she was going to fight. Kevin and his buddies even stepped back a little. You're such a punk, Kevin. You're the one to talk about making jokes. Preston grabbed Dee's hand and pulled her back. He backed up a ways, looked her in the eyes, and said, Kevin has something against me. He has from the start. You jumping in isn't going to solve anything. Let me handle this. But he's such a punk. I was just trying to... D? I know what he's trying to do. Trust me. D backed down, but was still steaming. Preston smiled. D was pretty hot when she got all feisty. I'll take care of it, he said. He turned back to Kevin. You're right. I was wrong to make jokes about you. Ha! I was right, Kevin said. You two were making fun of me in biology class. A little, said Preston, but that was before I understood. What are you talking about? Did you ever see the second G.I. Joe movie, Retaliation? It came out when I was like seven or eight years old. No, Kevin said. I did, and I loved it. It was one of my favorite movies as a kid. Still is, I guess. But I especially liked one character named Roadblock, who was played by Dwayne Johnson. Do you know who that is? Yeah, The Rock, said Kevin. The skinny skeleton spoke up. Don't listen to this guy, Kevin. Kick his ass! Preston held out his hands. Now, hold on, 
Let me make my point. Kevin didn't move or speak, so Preston continued. After that, I have seen every movie that Dwayne Johnson has been in, or at least the ones my mom will let me see. Lame, declared the fat skeleton. I think Johnny Depp is like that for you, Preston continued. You're dressed up as him on Halloween. You take cues from him on your look. He's your Dwayne Johnson, am I right? Kevin stood in confusion. This conversation was not what he anticipated. Finally, he said, Yeah, I like Johnny Depp, so... No, that's cool, man. I just didn't understand that before. I judged you before I even got to know you, you know? So, I'm sorry. Again, no response from Kevin. Truth be told, said Preston, I liked Johnny Depp as Tonto in the Lone Ranger movie. I thought he was pretty funny. What's your favorite Johnny Depp role? Kevin looked at each of his friends and then back at Preston. Sweeney Todd, he said. Oh, I haven't seen that one, said Preston. But maybe you can show it to me sometime. For tonight, though, I'd like to finish out the haunted forest with my date here. What do you say? Kevin flashed a look at Dee, who was now standing next to Preston. Yeah, man, that's cool, he said quietly. Then he just turned around and walked away. The two skeletons stood there dumbfounded. The fat one kicked at the ground and said, This sucks! Then they both followed after Kevin. Holy balls, Preston! Dee exclaimed, smiling and hugging him. That was amazing! I'm sorry to say it, but I was so scared they were going to beat you up. Me too, said Preston. Well, I wasn't sure about the skeleton crew, but I thought I knew how to reach Kevin. Did you ever? How did you do that? Are you like a psychic? No, I just figured we had much more in common than we thought. Kind of like me and you. Dee had been about to say more, but she just stopped and looked at him, a heat in her eyes he hadn't seen before. Preston did not let this moment pass. He lifted up on his tiptoes and kissed her before he could talk himself out of it. Dee raised her fingers to his chin and kissed back with fervency. They broke away slowly and then chuckled a little. That was it, Preston said. Was what? You wanted me to do something scary, and kissing you is the scariest thing I've ever done. Oh, really? And now... And now that I've done it, I I realize I had nothing to be scared of. Dee smiled and leaned in for another kiss, this one a bit longer. Then Preston got a devilish grin. And I also managed to do something to scare you, he said. What? said Dee, squinching her nose. The kiss? Well, that didn't scare me. I've been wanting to... No. You said that you were scared that I was going to get beat up. Oh, that doesn't count, Dee protested. Sure it does. You can't take it back now. Hey, at least I didn't run away from a guy with a chainsaw. Yes, you did. Dee slapped him playfully. Only because you pulled me. They both laughed. 
Well, shall we finish our tour of the haunted forest? Preston asked. Let's do it, replied Dee. As they sauntered off to their next fright, Preston Wagner knew he must be the happiest boy in the city of Reading. He was in love with Danae Augustine. So there you go. There is Something Scary by me. And I didn't do this full cast. I just decided to uh, read the story myself and do the different voices. I, I didn't do too much variation on the voices, but I tried to make them sound a little bit different. I'm definitely not as talented as Rich Outfield in doing that. Uh, but hopefully uh, you were able to discern who was speaking and those kinds of things. I, I hope you weren't let down by the promise of the title of the story, Something Scary, because not very many things happen in the story that are actually scary. Um, there's a little bit of tension there with Kevin at the end, but def definitely this is not a horror story. Um, but to me, it is a Halloween story because it's set... Because the ending is set at Halloween, and the whole intention of the story was, well, I guess that the intention of the story changed as it went. So let me go back to the beginning. I think it was 2018 in October, and I recorded a Patreon address, and I think I said something about, you know what I really should do? I should write something scary during the month of October and present it to you on the show. Or I don't know if I said I presented it on the show, but I was just trying to motivate myself to write. And I said, maybe I should write something scary in, in October. And uh, later on, I got a text or an email from Rush Outfield where he said, yeah, you should <laughs> write something scary in October. And he, he kind of challenged me to do that. And that kind of got me off my butt a little bit and said, you know what, I'm going to do that. And so I started coming up with a story idea. And as I was coming up with the story idea, I just started scribbling on a notepad. I had a red pen and I had a little notepad and I just wrote something scary on the piece of paper as I was thinking about what could I do for a plot? What could be a scary, something scary? And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. That, that could be kind of a meta thing in that the title of the story could be something scary. And then so I started playing with the, you know, drawing it more heavy and having blood dripping off of the letters as, and, as what I wrote. And uh, I had kind of fun doing that. And so that that is the episode art for this. That same little drawing that I drew way back when, what, three years ago? I guess. 
and kind of became the inspiration for the story. So my first thoughts and the intents of what I was going to write for this story was pretty dark. I was going to go pretty dark. It was going to be the same scenario. It was going to be these two kids that met in biology class. Well, I don't even know at that point whether it was biology class or not, but they're going to meet at middle school and the girl was going to challenge the boy to do something scary because she didn't think he could. And the story was going to progress as, you know, he did the same things he did in the story that you just listened to. You know, he did the spider, he did the fake blood, he did several things. But he started to get really dark about it. He started to, he started to stalk her, not only in real life, but online. And, you know, he started to, you know, he was going to get more and more creepy and he was actually going to, you know, do something drastic, like kill himself in front of her or something. It was really dark. But the more I thought about that, and as I started to actually write the story, I didn't want to go there with these characters. I really liked Preston and Dee. And I I wrote their conversations and their interactions, and, and I, I thought they were really good together. And I liked how they... Played. I like these characters and I didn't want Preston to, be, to go super dark. I didn't want him to, you know, go become psychotic and in his quest to scare D. And so as the story progressed, it got less and less dark and more and more about their budding relationship and where that would take them and, and uh, learning about each other and um, you know, Preston, the point of view character, his confusion, his discomfort, his insecurities about his interactions with D. I really enjoyed writing the scene where he wants to invite her to an R-rated movie, but he loses his nerve and he feels like an idiot and he knows she's disappointed and he just feels like crap because I've felt like that. I've been there, man. I, I understand that feeling completely. And so I, I really related to that. Of course, and the, you know, I'm the writer, so I'm, I'm injecting myself into parts of this. I mean, I didn't have anything specific like that, but there's dozens of times where I didn't have the nerve to ask a girl to go to a dance or uh, trust me, I've, I've been there. I, I get it. And, and so I, I liked that aspect and I liked Dee. I liked her as a character. She was different to, to Preston. She was exotic in a way to his way of thinking. He hadn't met or gotten to know anybody like that. You know, that, you know, someone that could be just passed off as, oh, just another goth girl or whatever. And, you know, I, I struggled with that a little bit. I don't, the goth thing came out a little bit after my time, you know, when I was out of high school and stuff. I mean, there was definitely, when I was going to high school in the 80s, there was definitely the punk movement, and I, I was familiar with that, but goth kind of took that a, a little bit different, and, you know, it kind of morphed now into emo stuff, and again, I, I talked to my kids, I tried to interrogate them a little bit and say, you know, what what is it, what 
when, when you think of it, if I say they're a goth kid, you know, what do you see? And it's usually the dark hair and the dark makeup or the pale face or, you know, and, and they're just kind of off on their own or, or grouped together and just kind of different than everybody else. Um, which, you know, different is kind of cool. I, I hung around with a lot of different kids when I was in high school and I, I enjoyed my time with them. They were fun to be around and I was probably one of them really, to be honest. Uh, not necessarily goth or punk or anything like that, but just, you know, general geek, nerd, whatever you call it. I don't know. So I, I tried to figure out what that was for this story. And I wanted there to be the surface level D. And then once you get beyond the surface, she's a real person. And she has perspective, a different perspective and and something that Preston could learn from and grow from. But then as I kept writing, I thought, Ooh, you know what? I'm writing D and I, and I don't totally understand this term, but I've heard it a lot. And I think I understand what a pixie manic pixie dream girl is. It's, it's basically a girl that comes into a guy's life and gives him a different perspective and makes him a better person. But it's all about the guy. You know, she's just the, this manic pixie dream girl that makes him a better person because of her different perspective. And so I kind of caught myself doing that. I'm like, Ooh, I don't want to just put her in that role. I wanted her to be three dimensional and have a backstory and have her own issues. And so, you know, I, I think I was able to overcome that a little bit. You know, toward the end of the story, uh, Preston uses his perspective of, of being the kid that is picked on, being the kid that people make fun of, and then turning that around and understanding Kevin more. And it's something that Dee couldn't relate to. She didn't understand because she had always been this person who didn't care what other people thought and... And so I think she learned a little bit from Preston at the end of the story. At least I hope that came across. But again, I just had a lot of fun writing these characters, their conversations, their interactions, uh, what they learned from each other and um, getting in trouble. But, you know, not, nothing terrible or nothing bad. And it was just a lot of fun to write. And I don't want I shouldn't talk about it too much and go on and on and on. But. I'm just trying to tell you where this story came from and what I enjoyed about it. Uh, the other thing that I totally loved was um, Mr. Pascavage or Mr. P. He was directly taken out of a teacher that I had in high school named Mr. Pascavage, and everybody called him Mr. P. And he was just this sweet guy. And unfortunately, you know, the kids took advantage of him a lot. And, but he was so fun. He made biology an experience. And that scene where, and I, I, I did exaggerate the scene a bit for effect in the story. But he did, man. When, when we talked about amoebas, he was standing, he wasn't standing on a desk, but he was up in the front. And he was just gyrating his body and moving his arms around and his legs and saying, ooh, I'm an amoeba. And uh, that whole thing. And oh, man. 
he was the best. And um, I wanted him to be a part of this story, you know. And that's where I think I came up with biology class was the class they were going to be in. Plus that that set up a lot of the the cool things, you know, with the the amoebas, the brain eating amoebas, and the dissection of the frogs, <laughs> and the other scenes, you know, in the biology class. And I, I wanted Mr. P to become a little side character that got his own little thing going on in the story. And so I, I hope you enjoyed that as well. I had a lot of fun writing Mr. P. And, you know, because originally my original thought was that the whole story would take place in the middle school, either in the classroom or at lunchtime. And that the kiss would happen in the cafeteria or out just outside the cafeteria or whatever. It was all going to be contained within the school. But after I wrote that scene about Preston, you know, taking his little sister to a, a church spook alley and Dee kind of making fun of that. And she was so excited to go to this haunted forest out on Hutchins Road or whatever. I thought, man, I, I should do something with that. And so I moved the end of the story out to this haunted forest location. And I, I, I had a lot of fun with that. You know, the other character that grew, I didn't have any plans for uh, Kevin or Barnabas, whatever you want to call him, to be a part of the story. But he kind of grew as I wrote his character. And I thought, oh, he, he kind of makes a good antagonist. I should really, a good story should have a good antagonist. It shouldn't, you know, even though it is a little love story, between Preston and Dee, we, we, it's always nice to have the antagonist in the story. So I kind of built up Kevin's role as being this antagonist toward Preston, this enemy of Preston's. And then that led to the final resolution at the end. And so it, it's fun to write. It's fun to create. It's, it's fun to build these things upon each other. You have your core story that you're trying to tell, but all these little surprises come along the way and you can't plan for those. I pretty much had an outline for this story. I, I, I won't, won't say that I totally planned out and outlined the story, but I knew the structure of the story. I wanted several different interactions between the two main characters in biology class or in class and in the cafeteria and that it, their relationship would grow, which would lead to a kiss at the end. That would be the thing that scared Preston the most. But then everything else came with it as I wrote the story. So it was kind of both planned and writing by the seat of my pants. I, I had a lot of fun with it. It it might not work as a story, but I love it. And I'll always love this story. Well, I hope you enjoyed this story. I loved writing it. It's, it was a lot of fun and it just makes me want to write more and I need to. Um, so that I can bring more things here onto the podcast, but just also just so I can have this great process and enjoy the whole thing. So I'm going to leave you now. I hope you have a happy Halloween or a spooky Halloween, whichever you prefer or both, whichever, whatever. And I'll be back with another story of mine sometime, but before then I'll definitely be back uh, with another journey. So uh, until next time, uh, stay safe out there and journey on. 
The Journey Into Podcast is produced under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means that you can share it as much as you would like, but please do not change it or profit from it. And please let people know where you got it from. The theme music for this podcast is provided by Man in Space. throat hasn't been scratchy all day and now i'm gonna sit down and record and it gets scratchy okay preston wagner preston wagner walked into ah, we're starting off good aren't we oh now i gotta come with a voice for mr p i did this before and i had a voice but so i'll try this several times here Well, Mr. Wagner, welcome to class. I think I can do that. This is a pretty good voice. Frogs. These frogs are all quite dead and have been preserved in formaldehyde. Don't expect them to get up. Don't expect them to get up, dance, and sing. Don't expect them to get up and dance or sing any Ivor... Or sing any Ivor Bergen songs. Biggin. Biggin. <laughs> Don't expect them to get up and dance or sing any Ivor Bur- Or sing any Ivor Bur- Not Bergen. Biggin. <clears throat> or sing any Ivor Bergen... I can't say it. Or sing any Ivor Biggin songs. <sighs> or... S- or sing any Ivor Brig, or sing any Ivor Biggin songs, Biggin songs, or sing any Ivor Biggin songs. D. Augustine, she's D. Augustine. Oh, I don't know how to sound as a girl. D. Augustine, she said. It looks good on you. 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 Dang it, I don't know how to say that in a sexy way. Now, why don't you join your classmates in looking through the various microscopes? Microscopes? You are so warm. I need your warmth. (coughs) (coughs) And that sound effect brought to you by my phone as my wife texts me. And that belch comes to you from the bottom of my heart.